the Industry 45 Show. Hey, everybody. It's Ricky Ragman, the guy that used to be on Headbangers Ball. He's still in the greatest rock and roll club in the world called The Cat House. And you are listening to my friend, Shane Christopher Neal, on the Industry 45. It honestly was as basic as Axel saying, hey, we're going to do a video. Do you want to be in it? Because what Guns N' Roses was notorious for, Axel especially, was they would always take care of their friends first. They would always look at the inner circle and have people do stuff. So He's bold, he's sexy, and he's a drummer. This is the Industry 45 Podcast Show with SCN. Uh, Industry 45 podcast show, also known as Paradise City, on ChinaFem.com. Shane Christopher Neal, uh, thanks for hanging out and listening to this podcast. Uh, just a reminder, each and every Saturday night, uh, 70s at 7, 80s at 8, Rockin' House Party, 9 to midnight on 91.7 Giant FM. Tune in on your radio dial. You can stream at GiantFM.com. Download our app, my friend. It is absolutely free. And today... We're heading back in the day when the grass was greener and definitely the girls were pretty. Hollywood, California, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, my guest today, co-founder, co-owner of the uh, Cat House in Hollywood, California, uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. And of course, the host of MTV's Headbangers Ball, which I think was like between 1990 and 1995. None other than Ricky Rackman today on the industry 45 podcast show and by the way ricky is going to be performing uh, one foot in the gutter live on stage an unbelievably amazing evening of stories true tales of rock and roll sleaze debauchery just like this podcast show <laughs> saturday december 10th buffalo new york the rec room you can get tickets at cathousehollywood.com uh, so what i did is i opened it up to you the listeners of the Industry 45 podcast show to send me some of your questions uh, for Ricky, things that you wanted to know. So we're going to get to those. We're obviously going to talk about the Cat House, MTV. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Ricky was in a Guns N' Roses video. You'll find out which video, some of the other things he's done in his storied career. And of course, we have to talk about the best rock album of all time. Uh, we talk motorcycles. We just have a damn good time, my friend. Ricky Rackman, Industry 45 Podcast Show. We start out talking about why he changed his name to Ricky. You know, the funny story is it wasn't to get in rock and roll or anything. My stepbrother was named David. And so we'd go everywhere, and it was like, oh, you know, my stepdad would say, here are my two sons, David and David, which didn't make any sense. So I ended up changing my name to Rick, which eventually went to Ricky when I was probably 12 or 13. But, you know, looking at hindsight, 
nobody would have gone to David Rackman's world famous cat house. You know, they <laughs> right. would have watched the headbangers ball. They'd maybe get their taxes done or get some, you know, dentist. But so it, I'm glad I changed my name. But you know, I changed it when I was young before I ever thought about working in, in music. So. Oh, it's very rock you know, and roll. It's just, it's just my name. Yeah, it works out tonight. But now I'm like, you know, I'm a 60 year old guy. Hey, Ricky, you know. <laughs> uh, I got to point this out first. Ricky is going to be performing uh, One Foot in the Gutter happening in Buffalo, New York, Saturday, December the 10th at the Rec Room. Uh, an evening of stories, unbelievably true tales of rock and roll, sleaze, and debauchery. I cannot wait for it, my friend. Uh, you can buy tickets, cathousehollywood.com. I mentioned to you that I wasn't taking the easy road out, but um, a lot of people know who you are man in Canada and they had some questions some you've probably answered a hundred times maybe some you've never heard before but I figured this is what okay. we do we just throw them out there and see what you had to say uh, that's fine number one on the list obviously uh, co-owner founder of the cat house first question what was one or a few things you might have done differently with the cat house looking back at it maybe you would do nothing differently but is there something that stood out to you that maybe you would have changed about it well the crazy thing about life is if you ever have a really good moment in your life you got there because of a really bad moment. So if I changed anything at the cat house back then, it wouldn't have ended up where I am today, which I'm very happy about. But I think the thing that, and I hate to sound like an old guy giving advice, but I would have appreciated it and taken pictures because I had this, I'm not allowing any cameras in the club. And I kept it that way. So people could do whatever they want. But you know, I'm sitting and there's Robert Plant at the bar and there's David Bowie and there's a, and I never took pictures of anything. So I think I would have maybe taken a couple pictures. Right, right. And um, and uh, I would have taken it all in because back then when I opened that club, I didn't know it would have been, you know, still selling cat house shirts to this day. You know, I never would have known that it would have left such an impression that many years. And I'm, I'm very, very proud of it. But, you know, I didn't ever think it was going to be like that. I was just some kid, you know, trying to get free drinks and meet girls. And the other thing I thought of is that, that, you know, it's funny because you could never redo a cat house like that. You and I grew up in that no. era, like that's gone, yeah. like never happening. So people today, my kid who's 22, never going to understand uh, the epicness no. of what that was all about. Uh, next, no. for your first thoughts when you watch the decline of the Western civilization, the metal years, you were in it. Uh, yeah. I know that you did some interviews around it back then, but what were your thoughts when you watched it? Um, it was weird seeing myself very big with, I mean, I had big hair back then, but when you're on a big, huge movie screen, it's really big. And, um, by the time I think that movie came out, I had given, I stopped drinking. So when the movie was shot, I shot it in the afternoon. I was drunk and I was drinking and acted, you know, I just, the way I talked spoke back then. And it was, it was very uncomfortable and it was very bizarre that our, cause remember this was two years before I ever thought about being on MTV. Right. So it was just bizarre seeing our whole scene, but I think that slight part in the um, in the movie really captured the whole vibe of the cat house. I mean, you look at it now and it seems so childish, immature, sexist. This and, and I guess it kind of was, but it was just <laughs> that's just what we did. It was fun, you know. It was just. It was goofy, silly fun. All right. Uh, Ricky Rackman is joining me right now. Shane Christopher Neal Radio Show. Enjoying a Tim's Horton or Tim Horton's coffee. I should be having a cat house coffee. I should order one of those uh, now that I think well, about I'll, it. I'll hook you up when you, come, when you come to the show in Buffalo. I'll hook you up for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, an interview from MTV's Headbangers Ball that you would like a redo of. Something, uh, an interview you did maybe that you've never had another opportunity to, to speak to that band. Any of those stand out at all? Well, I mean, obviously the first one that comes to mind was Nirvana, 
but it wasn't because of what I did. It's just I wish Kurt Cobain would have been in a better state. You know, he was wearing the big yellow ball gown. He was just wasted and didn't answer any questions. And, you know, despite some of the heavy metal people not liking that band, I really liked Nirvana when they first came out. And I think I wish that interview could have gone differently because, but on the same token, it was such an uncomfortable moment that it's lived up. It's, it's, it's historic, you know, right. there's kids that, that have said, have said like, dude, are you that guy that interviewed Nirvana? You know, so people really remembered that. So I think I wish that show could have gone different, but everything else, you know, I wish I knew how to interview people when I started, when I started, you know, I was on MTV. That was my first time ever being on television right. and ever interviewing anybody. So I didn't really know what I didn't know, you know? But but there was an organicness to that. It was the same with much music in Toronto. Like these people at the time, they didn't know what the hell they were doing, but it made it awesome. It was almost this uncomfortable awesomeness, you know, when you'd watch these interviews. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's what I had hoped. I had hoped that when people saw me on TV, that they looked at me and they were like, oh, that's the guy that I'd hang out at the bar with, that I'd go to the show with. Not uh, absolutely. Like a journalist. You know, I've never been accused of being a journalist, believe me. Um, this is something that I, I, you've probably answered this many times, but um, a band from the okay. 80s and 90s in Hollywood that should have made it a lot bigger than they did. There's probably a number of them, but what a couple that might stand out to you. They weren't from Hollywood, but it's, it's, it's one that stands out to me was a band called the London Choir Boys. Oh, I love the London Choir Boys. Real, I, I always thought that band should have been huge because they had a real Rod Stewart basses sound to them, and uh, you know they had the piano, and and I always really liked that band. And uh, and you know you play them today, and I, I think you know when the Black Crows broke with that same sort of style, you know I, I think the Choir Boys were, were you know better than the Black Crows. Right. So I think that band should. I mean, it wasn't really a metal band. But it, it was a band that I thought should have would have made it a lot bigger, but, but they didn't. Uh, absolutely. They played in, in Ontario here when they came out. I thought they were amazing. Uh, I love this question. What do you recall about the, Nove- about the November rain video that you were in for Guns N' Roses? And I forgot that you were in the video. Yes, I had a second <laughs> in the video. I had a moment, but it's still nice to know, like, hey, I was in the big the, the most watched video of all time. Yeah, how did that but happen? It, I mean, the story is, and I just answered the same question on TikTok today. Um, it honestly was as basic as Axel saying, hey, we're going to do a video. Do you want to be in it? Because what Guns N' Roses was notorious for, Axel especially, was they would always take care of their friends first. They would always look at the inner circle and have people do stuff. So when you watch the November Rain video and you see shots at a wedding or shots of people in church, I'm looking at all of our old friends. Oh yeah, that's so-and-so that's so-and-so. Right. And, um, so it was honestly as simple. It wasn't, you know, just like, Hey, do you want to be in the video? I'm like, yeah, what do you want to do? Oh, you're just going to be a guest at the wedding. I'm like, okay, fine. (laughs) So it's like, Oh, you're at a wedding. So it was simple as that. Uh, what else do I have? World championship wrestler interview in 2000. Uh, apparently you did. Were you a fan of of wrestling or how did you get into that? I love wrestling. Yeah, I still am. I got to work with, with WCW for a while. And, um, you know, unfortunately, they didn't let me do, like, I wanted to be, like, a manager or something like that. But they had me, like, you know, talking to kids spring break and then go to a commercial about athlete foot spray. I'm like, okay, you know. But, but I got to go to a lot of wrestling matches, so that was really fun. But I didn't really get to do what I wanted to do because I, I was a wrestling fan. I still am a wrestling fan. Well, something you also are is a, a racing fan. 
Um, you had racing rocks radio, right? So are you still doing some of that stuff now? I know that uh, you posted something on social media. Well, I I guess somebody was accusing you of not having a real job or something. I don't know. I don't remember the genesis, but you were talking about how you were doing, you know, you were involved in, in car racing and, uh, racing rocks. Are you still doing any of that stuff? I had a, um, a weekly radio show called racing rocks. It was heard in America on stations all over the place. And all I did was talk about rock and roll. I mean, talk about NASCAR and play rock and roll. And I did that once a week for 19 years, and it just ended on Sunday. Wow. Which is kind of kind of weird that, like, one door closes right as I'm about to go on tour for my first ever speaking engagement tour, you know? So so I'm still very much involved in racing. Um, I live in Mooresville, North Carolina, which is Race City, USA, and I right. love racing. But, I, you know, I'll probably work at a couple of racetracks this year. But as of right now, I don't necessarily – oh, and I work for a – motorcycle racing flat track on fox sports oh nice american flat track races so i do do motorcycle racing as well uh someone sent this in and i didn't even know this one 2007 uh reunion show for rock of love you were the host i guess of it are you what's it say are you still close with the band poison did you see the stadium tour and what were your thoughts did not see the stadium tour um don't regret that i didn't see this (laughs) um uh as far as the, the Rock of Love reunions, you know, I did all of the Rock of Love reunions, and then I was on my a show called Daisy of Love, and then Charm School, and these were all VH1 reality shows. And the funny thing is, like, Brett is a, just a great guy, and, you know, even on the show, he's like, well, you know, Ricky, we're friends, and when we talk, and I'm like, and the truth is, I never, ever hang out with Brett Michaels. I don't, I mean, anytime, like, if I'm at a show and I see him, he's just the, the nicest guy, but, like, I don't know his phone number. I've Right. I probably never talked to him on the phone. I just went up to, actually, I just went up to Toronto to do a TV special, which I was talking about Brett Michaels because of my association with the show. But um, I wouldn't say Brett is somebody that I've ever hung out with. That's not to say I wouldn't. That's not to say I don't like him. Brett, whenever I see Brett, I talk to him. He's a, he's a smart guy. He's great at what he does. But um, the reality shows were just something like they wanted me to do those, and uh, I did them, and it was, it was a, a lot of fun. Uh, appetite for destruction, best rock album ever. Uh, that's the question. Obviously it, it sold a ton of albums, uh, more than Bruce Springsteen's born of the USA. I think more than Prince's purple rain, but I know you were close with guns and roses. Do you think it's one of the best albums of all time? Like at least in, in our era? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I put, it was always weird for me because I was around when they were recording it, you know, when they're making, you know, when, when they make a the video and Axel's like, Hey, you want to see this paradise city go? And he's playing me cuts of this and stuff like that. But sometimes I have to step outside of myself and, and, and listen to that record. I think Appetite for Destruction, you know, I put it up there with any of the, you know, with the Rolling Stones records. I mean, my all-time favorite band of all is, believe it or not, Motorhead. But, um, but as far as the greatest rock album of all time, if you would have said what's the greatest rock album of all time, I probably would have said Appetite for Destruction. It's just, it's so, it's so raw. And, you know, you got to remember Welcome to the Jungle. When it broke, it was like, wow, this is, this is like grab you by the scruff of your neck absolutely yeah it wasn't it wasn't you know we've heard these songs so many times there's nothing dangerous about it but when that record came out and when they used to play that album live it was like you could you could not touch guns and roses they were they were great uh and staying on that that train of guns and roses i went to i know mark Cantor was on the um cat house hollywood podcast i know you know him very well uh i went to hollywood five years ago an artist out of Toronto, Susie Corey, was opening up for LA Guns and she had done it in Toronto. And she said to me, because I have a TV show in Ontario as well, and she goes, Why don't you come to LA? 
bring a camera crew. We'll do some shooting at different locations. No problem. Uh, I'll get you to host the show, which is at the Whiskey. And of course, I'm going, this is beautiful. I go to LA. We do all this. I introduce LA Guns. Here I am. I mean, you lived in Hollywood. I didn't. So for me to be there and see that stage and think of all the people that, that donned that stage. Anyway, long story short is she goes, we have to go meet Mark Cantor. Who the hell's Mark Cantor? Okay, so I do my research and I'm like, okay, now I know who Mark Cantor is. We go to the deli, we have breakfast, I meet him. I have the book in front of me, Rec Reckless Road, Guns and Roses. What a place, and I got my picture like in that, um, the booth where Guns and Roses got their picture there. And I've just, I just thought, what a great experience. Uh, speak a little bit just about your relationship with Mark over the years, because I know he's been a close friend uh, when you grew up in Hollywood there. The funny thing is, is Cantor's, to think of it as like an iconic rock place, is like, I went to Canners when I was probably like seven, you know, that was just, that was our deli in LA. Yeah. And yes, Guns N' Roses went there. And Mark Canner was just a guy that was always with the Guns N' Roses guys. He was the only guy that was like allowed to take pictures or shoot stuff because he was a friend. I mean, there was another photographer, Robert John, that was with it, but, but Mark was just like a buddy that was always, always with Guns N' Roses, always. And, you know, and, and, I think it might have even taken me several years of knowing him before I knew that Mark Canner was Canner's Deli, you know. And uh, the last time I was in L.A., of course, I went to Canner's Deli and I saw Mark. And it, to me, it's just always an iconic deli just because it's always been there and that's the deli we have in Los Angeles. Right. But for many, it's like, you know, this is where Guns N' Roses used to go all the time. Mm -hmm. Mark Canner, his family owns Canner's Deli. And and there's certain things that are very iconic places in rock and roll that if you visit Los Angeles, you'd want to see. But it's like, well, this was just my deli. This was just my supermarket. This was just where I got, you know, whatever. And, and, and these places are also, you know, I, I lived on my before I moved, I lived on the Canyon and there was a candy store there. And the reason they carry um, can, candy from Europe is because, uh, Mick Jagger was walking there and saying, we're here every week. Why don't you carry candy from Europe? And then they started doing that. And, you know, so there's all these places that are such iconic places in rock and roll history that were just places to me because that's just where I went. Right, you know? right. Because I grew, I grew up in Hollywood. So what do you think of Hollywood now? I mean, you don't live there. Um, you obviously go there and visit that's once in a answer. while. That's, that's the answer. <laughs> there's your answer. Um, there is no scene. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's sad. Uh, it was vibrant. I mean, and that's the way it is in a lot of places. People don't go out like they used to go out, but in Hollywood, there was, there was a scene, there was magic. And yes, there were times that it was dangerous, but that's how we grew up. And right now, and also, you know, I'm older now and, but I, you know, I still go to shows. I went to a show a couple of days ago. I went to a show last week. I still go see bands, but in LA in the prime, we would go out, you know, we weren't even sure what band was playing. You know, the cat house, I, I didn't even have to tell people if there was a band playing. It was packed because right. people went out and now people just don't go out anymore. And it's just sad. You know, the Sunset Strip, there is no energy there at all. There is right. nothing there. And it's just, it's sad, but times change. You know, I, I don't want to be that old guy like, ah, you kids don't know what it used to be like here in the wild. <laughs> West, you know? <laughs> Uh, changing gears just a little bit, uh, your favorite motorcycle right now and briefly just talk quickly about Ricky's ride as well. Cause I think that's cool. What is my favorite motorcycle right now? Yes. Well, 
I would say it's the two that I own, <laughs> which, which, which are not the ones that you would expect. Um, the one bike that I, that I, that I, that I'm riding now is the Indian pursuit, which is a brand new bike just because, you know, I bought it and put 5,000 miles on it in two weeks. I mean, it's got heated everything. You know, I ride a lot, but the bike that I really like is this 1972 Honda CB750 chopper. That's just, a full-blown 70s chopper. Everybody thinks that all the choppers back in the 70s were Harleys, but they weren't. And Honda had cool choppers. And, you know, I could have a Harley chopper. I could have I could have any bike I want. But I really like these Honda choppers. And that's, that. That's you know, I like that bike. <laughs> that's probably one of my favorites. But I, I just love motorcycles. And I've owned, you know, almost every type of brand of motorcycles. I'm not a purist by any by any form. But if I'm going to ride, you know, coast to coast or to Canada, I'm going to ride on an Indian. And Ricky's ride? Well, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. No? I just finished. And no, every year what I've done is I ride. And many times I bring my wife with me and we'll get on a motorcycle and we'll say, okay, let's go ride from Los Angeles to New York, from Florida to, you know, Maine. And we'll take a different charity every year. And, you know, this last year, I think I raised 24000 for Victory Junction Camp. The year before that, 32000 for Alzheimer's. I mean, I've raised me have raised almost a quarter of a million dollars but the thing is you know i don't get plaques i don't get thank yous i don't get anything i don't care i get to meet people and have a really good time right but i pay all my expenses myself like i don't take when somebody donates a hundred bucks i don't take any out for gas or hotel or anything like that so the rides just got to be too expensive mm-hmm. and after doing it for you know 13 years i realized like you know i'm never home for summer like this year i think i'd like to like go on the lake at home or ride my mo- you know i'll still ride you know i'll probably do 5,000 miles this summer, but it'll just be for fun. And it'll not be being on a motorcycle, you know, every single day for about two months. It's kind of tough, you know, yeah, after for a sure. while. For and, sure. um, you know, every, every summer, you know, I'll go and ride 15,000 miles and I'm just like, okay, I think I'm going to not do it this year. I say that, but you never know. It, it gets warm and the next thing I'm on a bike with Lee on the back going somewhere. So who knows what you should do is you should write a book because that's my next question. I'm big into the books. Everyone's got a book. You've got a story, and I know you're talking about it live on stage. Are you going to write a book? Well, it's funny because um, there's so many books of that scene that talk about stories that I was involved in. Some of them aren't even true. I mean, I've read a lot of these band doc books. They're not even true. Right. And um, I'm not going to say names, but you guys can figure it out. (laughs) And so I've been asked for decades how to write a book the problem is i had thought you know the book that i wanted to write i don't know if that was the book that everybody would want to hear so then i started doing this show i've done one show so far this show where i go up and tell stories and i was like oh this is the book so what i'm gonna do when i get off the road i, I just like saying when i get off the road i've only got five shows right now that's okay but if I to start do more and and there's talk of more um i will do what is in the show and the goal is to put it into a book but it'll be a book that'll call names and people are going to be upset, but it's not just the story of, you know, rock and roll and bands and stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff, you know, what's it like, you know, having a, a hit TV show and then a year and a half later, you're broke selling used cars. Right. You know, I've had a lot of highs and lows and stories that, that nobody would believe. Like there's some stories that I say in my show that people are like, you've got to be kidding. Like, you know, I'll just give you an example. Um, I once got married and my best man was Julio Iglesias. 
you know? Really? I mean, wow. people are like, how did that, how did that happen? I'm like, well, that's a long story. And I'll tell those, I mean, there's random stories that happen. A lot of them have to do with rock and roll and bands and stuff like that and stuff that happened at the cat house and headbangers ball. But a lot of it is just like, what's it like growing up in this scene and, and, and having all these bizarre, unique situations. And a lot of them are very humiliating, but for some reason, even though I might not sit down and tell them to my best friend, I get up on stage in front of a couple hundred people and I'm just like, Hey, let me tell you this. And I enjoy it. I really, really like doing it. I mean, the, the Buffalo show is one of the smaller venues that I'm playing. And you know, when before, like, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, they were like under six feet of snow. And right. somebody was like, what, you know, you, it, that might be a tough sell. It's a six o'clock show. What happens if you show up in Buffalo and there's only 10 people at your show? I'm like, well, I'm going to have a really good time with those 10 people. I mean, that's not going to be the case. Then you, then you never know. I mean, you know, some shows, my first show, there were almost 500 people there. I'm going to go there, and some people don't even know what this show is all about. But I promise you, if you go, you're going to have a really, really good time. And uh, I'm going to have a good time, too. I mean, that's the best part. It's like, I'm going to have a really good time. And I I really, out of anything that I've done in, this, in my career, and I've been working nonstop for a long time without a doubt this is the most rewarding and this i enjoy the most and now to, to do all these you know to do all these shows and you know and and i had tour bus dreams and now it's like a minivan and we're gonna have to go from flint michigan all the way through canada just to get to buffalo which i hope is, i don't know how the heck's gonna go <laughs> but um oh but it will be great be it will be great. Uh, you will be there. I will be there. It will be amazing. Saturday, December the 10th, Buffalo, New York, the rec room. You can buy tickets, cathousehollywood.com. I've been telling everybody about it, promoting it. I'm bringing my buddy who's, uh, I'm a drummer to band. He's the bass player. And I says, you're going to love Ricky. He's got killer stories, I know, and uh, truly going to enjoy that. I, I appreciate your time, man. I really do. I just wanted to have- well, hold a, on. I have one question yeah. to ask you. Yeah. I'm driving across Canada. What is one thing I have to stop and eat or drink on the road. And it can be, you know, is it, is it Tim Horton's coffee? Is it that good? Or what is, is there something that I need to eat or drink on the road? Well, it depends where you are in Canada, to be honest with you, because everybody has a different, you know, kind of, if you're in Quebec, it's one thing. If you're out in uh, British Columbia, it might be something else. But I would say, I mean, still Canadian poutine is the best. Uh, the gravy, the cheese, uh, you can now get it with like pulled pork. And I've had it in America. It's not Canadian. I don't know. There's something about the poutine in Canada. And to me, you have to, you have to have like a Molson Canadian, an ice cold Molson Canadian beer, although you don't drink now. So that may not happen. Yeah, but my wife does. Okay, there- <laughs> my wife will drink <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, Leah could have a, a Molson Canadian because th- that's what I, Molson Canadian cold with a poutine and you're good to go here in Canada.